Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name's Tess Armstrong, sitting in the chair this week, and again, what a week. In the iconic words of Monty Python, tis but a flesh wound, hubs, borders <laughs> closing around, don't worry about it. The season 2020 is rolling along. There's a fair bit to get through, but I couldn't think of three better people to do it with, and I'm going to let my Sanctum sisters introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hello, Lucy Race here. Hi, Shelley Ware here. Hello, fellow Victorians. Now, uh, I know this is a national show, but I feel like uh, we better just do some real talk for a moment. Yesterday, our Premier announced we're going back into a six-week lockdown. Uh, So thankfully, our footy players got out right on time before the state properly shut down. How are you all feeling? Well, I'm pretty disappointed that they haven't sent us to a hub, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Where's be, our Noosa? I'd be very happy to go to Noosa. Um, I think it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, to be honest. I personally have had times of going, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then I'm not fine. The biggest thing for me has been trying to keep it in perspective. Mm. Mm. Myself, I pretty much didn't let myself get out of stage three lockdown because um, I was waiting for this to happen Mm-mm. because nobody was doing the um, 1.5 metre stand away from my down space. <laughs> so I'm devastated for business owners, small business owners in particular, absolutely devastated for them. But myself personally, I haven't relaxed. Mm. So I need one day, one day I did, I went into someone's house and that was um, quite lovely. But um, that's it. Yeah, I echo those sentiments. I, I think last week when we heard about the lockdown suburbs, my suburb was kind of spared. I had this moment of feeling like it was too good to be true mm. and then it's it was yeah. <laughs> Here we are. turns out it was that's right any puzzles left to do from laughter is that I mean, the motto is. of this year it's too good to be true, <laughs> to be true. <laughs> that to me sums up the weekend because of course it sums up Matt Rowell right we're going to talk about oh. football Matt Rowell to me is the epitome of 2020 where you get this kid out of the blocks mm. in a struggling club comes he's like a saviour right unbelievable football player and now it looks as though he's done for the season which is so sad for him and I really am thinking of him because it is really tough to to have your moment and then have it taken away from you he'll be back next year and that's all I can think about next year 2021 bring it on that's going to be the good stuff I do feel like it has been quite deflating this week and um, I just want to shout out to a lot of our Sanctum listeners who've been messaging us on socials and checking in. I've had quite a lot of Richmond people just tell me to go back and look at my photo with the Premiership Cup and I will. (laughs) I mean, that's all I'm doing, literally all day looking at the photos. The thing about watching Matt Rao was I think he really united a lot of footy fans. I think he really brought everyone together and we were all just 
really enjoying watching this young kid play and there was a collective groan when he dislocated his shoulder on the weekend. What I thought was lovely was watching Gary Ablett go up to him and and Joel Selwood at the end of the game. So it was a big game for both of them and they both made their way over to to talk to him and it's come out, I think, that Gary Ablett had said, you know, I've had issues with my shoulder. If you want someone to talk to, um, give me a call. And I think that's just lovely. It is lovely. That was some wholesome footy stuff. Well, with the Matt Rowe story, I I just thought, you know, AFLW has given so much to the broader footy landscape and we've also given the curse of the number one draft pick. Oh, yeah. um, That in their first season (laughs) they have a devastating injury. Like Izzy Izzy. Huntington, Nina Morrison. So we just keep on giving. What caught my eye this weekend is, you know, in Victoria we're we're sad sacks because we we, we don't (laughs) have much footy happening and any community football that came back is now I presume called off but that in other states and women's footy has come back so we saw last week that the Sandfall Super Women's League resumed and there were quite a few AFLW players running around in that we we saw Ed Marinoff and Sarah Allen um, pulling on the boots which is really exciting for AFLW players to be playing some footy but as well as all those aspiring players to continue their development and then this week we'll see the Quaffle uh, return in in Queensland so they started their season they had three rounds in um, up until March that then had to pause and now they get to come back so that's really exciting Mm. Um, and I'll be tuning into that. Thank God for federation, right? Shelley? I've said it again and again. Thank God for federation. <laughs> That's quite funny. So there was a lot of talk about um, Port Adelaide being the grand final premiership contenders, and I am a big fan of the Brisbane Lions, but don't get me wrong, I very much love Port Adelaide. I was a childhood barracker and had the posters and all of that sort of stuff, but to see Brisbane smash Port by 37 points, for me, added a bit of excitement to the whole entire season. So, you know, there we were with the centre clearances were just coming straight out of there. They were going Brisbane's way and Brisbane had 12 marks inside 50 to Port Adelaide's four. Bit of exciting, mixing it up. One of the things I learnt this week was a way to spot a footy journo who (laughs) hasn't paid much attention to AFLW (laughs) is pick out the ones that can't pronounce Syndesmosis. (laughs) (laughs) So AFLW fans will remember that Chloe Malloy missed a season because of a syndesmosis injury. And what that is, it's basically a high ankle sprain. It's when you roll outwards and it's the joint that is between the tibia and the fibula at the bottom of your leg. Thanks, Dr. Google. I love Dr. Lucy. (laughs) She's up and about. (laughs) You know I love this stuff. It was really interesting, though. I saw Brooke Patterson, who is a physio who we've spoken to before. She works at the Melbourne AFLW team and is a PhD student. And she was tweeting about the increase in the incidence of syndesmosis injuries and that it's consistent this year with an upwards trend that we've seen over the last five years that usually we'd see maybe four to five per season. And so far we've seen five to six. So Richmond had two on the weekend. She was wondering whether this is due to the shorter quarters, less time and space, and potentially whether there's a change in reaction times in terms of absorbing the tackle because of less contact training. So it's a really interesting thing to watch. It's horrific to see injuries but mm. we'll um, hopefully see less of them as the as the season goes on. I really do hope so. I mean it depends on whether the season continues to be truncated. I mean we're looking at a bye mm. after the next round of fixture that we've already got um, and then we will see Victoria's clearly locked down for six weeks so it doesn't look like people are coming back in and out mm. um, anytime soon. So we will just have to see and hope that our teams make it through the rest of the season because it's a bummer. I loved on the weekend, similarly, Brisbane and St Kilda just continuing to play awesome, fun mm. footy. 
I know a couple of St Kilda fans are cross because no one's talking about St Kilda, but can I just say it's better no one's talking about your club. (laughs) (laughs) When you're the favourite, it's not very fun anymore. Take it from me. So I kind of loved that and I also loved Freo getting their first win under Justin Longmuir. And I found out, thanks to Sanctum listener Melanie Ray, that they're calling Justin Longmuir J-Lo. (laughs) <laughs> Which I didn't know before. No. That's super fun to me. Lucy, we've got this fun, fantastic late night Sunday night game. How do you feel about Sunday mm. night footy? Is that here to stay? I'm really not a fan of it. And I mean, people, long time listeners to this show will know that I'm not a fan of the Thursday night, bin night. <laughs> slot either. I put out a little call a few weeks ago on Twitter and said, if Thursday night's been night, what do we call the 6pm Sunday (laughs) slot? And people got back with some great suggestions. Some of the ones that I really enjoyed were the roast, which I thought was quite good. There was, you know, some great suggestions. My favourite is leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) And I really feel like you get to the end of a very long round of football, especially if it starts on bin night, six o'clock Sunday is leftovers. Do you mean the teams? Because you don't see pies bombers on Sunday night, do you? No, you don't. But it just, it actually just feels like an afterthought. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. Because as a Carlton supporter, we've played a lot of um, (laughs) leftover night. So... I'm enjoying bin night at the moment. (laughs) The scheduling is all off for me because Thursday night I'm actually loving it because Mm. I have something to look forward to on Thursday night because every day is the same. Now it only means that there's four days where I have to fill in with non-football things (laughs) uh, before it comes around, well, three days. And so it's glorious to me. Sunday night, I don't know how I feel about it. I think by the time, unless Sunday night's a cracking game, and no offence to your Hawks and the Giants, but... I wasn't that into Sunday mm. night, and so I was. I Neither was kind was of test. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes were a wandering to other things. I was a little bit bored, and so if that game is exciting, then we're away. Then Sunday night, tally, look out, world. But yeah, that doesn't mm. look to be what's happening. I'm Kiara Bowers, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. Shelley Ware, last week you spoke on the program about the experience of some of the footballers and their experiences on Instagram. Something that has made me really mad this week has been your own experiences on Instagram. Uh, Are you able to tell us a little bit about your week? Yeah, so I opened up my Instagram and somebody had kindly put a whole bunch of monkey emojis through there, so much so that there were about 27 of them. So I put a lot of effort into it and then came back two hours later to try and get my attention again. And then a few other people joined in after I called it out. So I called it out, but I didn't call out their actual account because I feel I feel like there's something going on like... It's almost like a tag, you know, so Mm. let's see how far I can get this and, you know, share my hate. So I scratched out their um, account, which happens to be a fake account with zero followers and, you know, zero posts. So their intent is just for racism Mm. and to hurt other people. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. So, you know, I feel for them they need to go and get some some serious help. And I'm not going to let their hate come into my world because I had the most wonderful response from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook followers. I was more emotional about the support that people had given me and the love that people had given me. And um, yeah, so it's been a massive week. And then a few newspapers called up and wanted to share the story, which is great because I believe that Instagram and all our social media need to change their laws or rules and laws need to be changed within Australia to protect people from all discrimination that happens on social media. Because we're tired of it. It just shouldn't be. It's not acceptable. There was a period where it was acceptable to speak to people, marginalised people like this, and this is a period in time where it's not, thankfully. So we need things to change. It's so frustrating. I'm so sorry that happened, Shelley. 
I think it's one of the tools of oppression to try and um, wear people down and to Mm. continually derail and make people, you know, spend their time on these kinds of things. And so we can't overlook it as being just something that's minor and that, you know, ignore it and it will go away because it, it really does have an effect. I am also frustrated that across all of those social media platforms, everything is so different. And unless you really have policies in place from those companies to try and stamp this out, it's, it can't change. And one of the frustrations with Instagram is that, you know, I reported three of those accounts mm. that were putting racial hate on your posts and the algorithm doesn't seem to pick it up. So no. all of them are mm. still there and they're all still active. We need to really be calling on the powers that be and anyone with any kind of, you know, pressure to make changes to the laws. There was another incidence of um, racism that was posted on the 7AFL Facebook page on Sunday that unfortunately sat there for about half an hour, but the moderators did get on and they did ban that user. So you can see that you know, where you've got the tools to be able to do that, mm. it can get taken down very quickly. I think Instagram is a really big problem at the moment. Yeah, it really does take a big public pressure because companies, I mean, they're companies. They want you to use their product. And if mm. you don't want to use their product because their product is bad, they'll change the product. So the more public pressure, the better. And this week we've seen um, an initiative, Shelley, led by sports people around the world. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what We Got You is? Hmm. So... We Got You is a campaign that was had a soft launch yesterday and I think we're going to see the hard launch today. There's going to be a press conference, so we will learn more about it. But basically it is led by an all-star cast of Australia's biggest sporting identities and it's a pledge by these athletes to stand in solidarity against racism and to be the voice of change. And we're going to see the likes of Patrick Dangerfield, Dale Cherry Evans, Lydia Williams, Aaron Phillips, and there's a big long list of athletes and also sports. But what they're doing is they're setting up a support network within the sporting community But as we know, that will bleed into the wider community. And I believe they've got some actions that are going to be very exciting to hear. It's not just a campaign where we sit back and feel good about ourselves when we watch a video for a few minutes and retweet it and feel like we've done something. This is actually going to be something that's going to make substantial change. And I think it'll lend itself into what we've just been talking about. But I'll let them tell their story and everyone needs to tune in and find out what is We Got You. Lucy and I were very lucky to catch up with the one and only Erin Phillips a little bit earlier. Welcome, Erin, to the Outer Sanctum. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan. So, yeah. I did make up a song about you earlier in the year. I hope you never heard it. Uh, I did hear it. I loved it. <laughs> wow, 2020, the gift that keeps on giving. It might be my new ringtone, actually. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, yesterday you posted that We Got You is called an evergreen player-led movement. Are you able to, t- to tell everybody a bit about the program but also what that what that means? We Got You is, is a slogan made up. Had a, had a great chat with a lot of people, Patty Mills in particular, who's over in the United States and... The idea came from him of putting your arm around somebody and saying, you know, we got you and using it uh, in a way to to raise awareness uh, for racism. And when Patty and I spoke about it, I was just so excited to be on board because for so long, I just didn't know how I could contribute. You know, I just wanted to stand up and say something, but I didn't know 
what to say or whether even what I said would even hold any gravity towards it. So this campaign of of an athlete-driven campaign just gave us more strength behind it and yeah, I'm absolutely proud to, to be a part of it. Obviously, I have a brother-in-law who's Aboriginal, nieces and nephews that are Aboriginal, um, but before that, it meant a lot to me. So this is a, a great start to be able to, you know, put my hand up and, and use my platform basically to to shine a light on, on racism. Erin, it's Lucy here. I'm wondering if you can maybe have a little, uh, explain to us why it's so important for allies to use their voice and to speak up when they see things like racism on social media. Yeah, I think it's, it's incredibly powerful. If you can, you know, if you can do it with a, a group of people and, and we're trying this as athletes to, to come together and use our platform together to try to change you know, sports at the moment. Like you, you start with sport, and if we can make sport a, a place where people feel comfortable and safe to play, and and know that you know when they when they play, they're not going to be uh, racially attacked. That's where we want to start of taking racism completely out of sport by doing it together. Really, just amplifies you know amplifies the message. I mean, for me, I'm never going to know what it feels like to be racially attacked. I can't speak from from those that are, but I can use my platform to be able to, like I said, shine the light, be able to get their messages out there and to be heard. And this campaign is really unique because it is a way that, you know, we're controlling the narrative of it. We're controlling what our messages is. It's fantastic. The, I'm not, sh- not sure if you've seen the logo. I think you have, mm-hmm. but it's just so powerful to be able to, to be able to put your arm around somebody and just say, we got you, we've got your back. We're here to support you. I think that message is just incredibly powerful. Have you thought, I know this is an early days campaign, but have you thought about you in the moment, you know, if you see a teammate getting abused or you see something online or you see something more systemic than that, what you might actually like to do? Well, you, you need to call it out. You need to address it. And I think the biggest biggest problem, you know, I've been guilty of it in, you know, in past, in early days of just staying silent and just thinking, oh, well, those people are just ignorant you know, don't know what they're talking about and they're cruel. Well, now it's like, no, we actually have to, like, call them out in the moment and, and feel confident enough to, to be able to do that because I, I honestly thought, I didn't think that my voice was, you know, going to be heard or respected in trying to control a campaign or a situation where it wasn't affecting me because I'm a privileged white woman. So, but now I know the... I know the importance of being able to have these conversations with people and it's not okay, even if it's in a joking form or lighthearted, like any type of racism is racism. So in the moment, I think, you know, we need to have those discussions and call it out when we see it. And I've had to do it plenty of times, especially on social media. It's such a big platform and an easy way for trolls to attack people. And so, like, I think you've just got to call it out and, and hopefully eradicate it forever. Erin, one of the things that I love about this campaign is that it isn't just focusing on football and it's not just footballers who are part of it. It's actually across all sports. Why is it happening this way? Because sport, sport is sport. We're, we're united. It doesn't matter what sport we come from. We all, we all are facing the same issues. Racism is a huge issue and it's not, it, it doesn't just relate to, to football. It's, it's across the board. You know, For us to be, be saying, look, we want to change sport in the beginning, 
we want to become a, an Australian identity where we know that racism is completely out of Australian sports and we've eradicated it. And then hopefully from that, a domino effect, I mean, we, it, you know, then it starts in the community and then it starts, you know, having conversations with, you know, anti-discrimination against sexuality. Like, it, it just goes on. We needed to start somewhere. And sport across Australia is just so important. Understanding that we are one and being able to come together on this is, like I said, very powerful. Are there ways in which you're inviting people to be involved as well? Yeah, so we've got the wegotyou.com, I think is up and running. And look, just having those conversations, like I encourage people to talk, you know, to to ask if there's, if you've got players that are from, you know, different cultural backgrounds to ask how they can be supported and get around each other. And sport is such a unique way to be able to come together like this. I think we're very privileged to be able to come together like this. But having those discussions for coaches, you know, setting setting the precedence in the beginning of taking that completely out of it, that's a very, very important way in the beginning. Erin, we can't let you go without asking you some other footy stuff, just quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we... <could> forever. <laughs> <laughs> what did it mean to see your dad inducted into the Hall of Fame? Oh, it was, it was incredibly special. It was incredibly emotional. I mean, he, it was funny because he was around my house washing, helping, helping me wash windows. And after about 30 minutes, he just dropped the fact that he, he <laughs> was being inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. And... You know, we're, we're head to toe filthy and sweaty, and I've just looked at him going, wait, what are you talking about? It's like I've been inducted in the ASL uh, Hall of Fame. I was just like, kind of just, got, like, I didn't know what to say. I was so shocked. I was, why are you telling me 30 minutes into um, washing windows? Like, <laughs> I've just been hanging out with you for a whole hour before that. And, yeah, it was just so emotional. I just, I couldn't believe it. So happy for him and, and his achievement. You know, my dad never expects anything from anybody and and for this I think he was just so so humbled by it and yeah hopefully when this crazy world um, gets back together and we can have a a proper you know formalized dinner and and celebration for him but yeah we're just so so proud and he was yeah he was pretty chuffed. Oh it's so nice and he's been helping you wash windows and you've been helping him running water (laughs) at local footy I mean in Victoria we're very jealous about local footy going ahead in the other states can you tell us about that? Yeah, so actually my dad is the uh, head coach of the Smosh Westlake women's senior team. So usually I'm I'm long gone. I'm on the other side of the world at the moment back to the States. And so I'm hanging around, obviously, indefinitely at the moment. You know, America's a bit crazy, crazy at the moment. So while I'm here in Adelaide, dad's invited me out to, you know, to run water. And I'm out there at training, um, <laughs> having a kick with the girls on weeknights and yeah, it's just great to be to be back there. I mean Smosh was actually my junior footy club when I played and I was the only girl and that was a club that made me feel so welcome. You know, I, I never felt like I was the only girl out there. I felt like one of the boys, they just were so good to me. So getting the opportunity to repay them and just being out and a part of it, you know, is so, so important to me. So I absolutely love it. That's so good. I think you're um just quietly, I think you're a bit overqualified to be running water. <laughs> But, I, do, I do do a little bit of coaching when I'm out there, so I can't help myself. Well, uh, good to hear. All encouraging. Good to hear. I'd love to know what you thought of, like, we really enjoyed watching this season of AFLW, and I know that it was it was cut short and we didn't get a finals, mm. but what was your takeaway? What did you think of the season? It was, it was, uh, God, it was, a, an, again, cut short. I was really disappointed because I, I felt like it was unfinished business for mm. especially the, the top teams and I, I would have liked to have seen a grand final at least. 
for those those top teams. But I thought across the board, I mean, the the level of skill and, and development is just going through the roof, and it just keeps getting tougher and tougher to be able to, to be able to win. So I thought it was fantastic, and I will say playing without crowds was, was really difficult. And the fact that it just didn't have that same atmosphere and, and excitement, and you really appreciate your fan support. Um, and I think it was a good reminder of, of how important it, you know those fans are to be there uh, at your home games cheering you on. It was bittersweet. Like I said, I'd love to have seen a, a premier at least and, and kind of had a bit of conclusion to the season, but we'll just have to wait till next season, I guess. That's right. Bring on 2021, as we keep saying. And have you been watching much yeah. of the men's season? Do you have many tips or predictions about that? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I've been following... Um, Obviously, both Adelaide teams here, and my brother-in-law Sean, uh, who plays for Hawthorne. So I make sure I at least catch three games uh, a week. Uh, if, if the kids are all in bed and I can actually watch the football, that is. But yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's great that you know we have football. I know it's very different circumstances and there's hubs and crazy, but you know for me, I just appreciate those guys out there playing because it is an outlet for so many to, to be able to just sit back on a Thursday night, forget about the world around us. Just watching football, which I think is great, but hopefully, hopefully the Crows and the boys, we can get a win. You know, always that first win when you're on a losing streak is this tough. So hopefully, it's not too far around the corner. And just it's a loaded mm-hmm. question in 2020, but how are you going in this year? I mean, it's a it's a very confronting year. You said you haven't been able to go back to the states, so you've been, you know, in Australia, which is lucky for us. But yeah. how are you and your family? Yeah, well, obviously, personally, you know, I'm I'm doing fine. I mean, I've you know training. Um, as much as I can, uh, just cross-training. And I think the hardest part is, you know, watching my wife, Tracy, just turn on the news and see how incredibly hard America is doing and, and our flight back to America has kept getting cancelled and, and re-pushed back. And, you know, and it's, it's obviously hard. Tracy, you know, had, and her family's all over in Dallas, which is the second most mm. uh, infected state in the whole of the United States. So it's, it's tough to... You know, be here, even though we're very, very lucky and, and privileged to be in South Australia, we've got no cases at the moment. And it's tough to see your family over in the States just, you know, really, you know, the virus just everywhere. It's just spreading like wildfire over there. So it's just been tough because you can't do anything about it from here. You kind of feel, feel helpless. So, you know, every day we're just hoping that we turn on the TV and we start to see some relief, I guess, and, and hopefully, you know, Tracy. Uh, and I can take the kids back uh, to the States to see, to see, you know, their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Mm, we really hope so too. We're all thinking of everybody who's struggling. It's a really hard time. Erin, it's been just a pleasure having you on the Outer Sanctum. We love the We've Got You campaign. We love your involvement and we just can't wait to see you playing footy again and to get yeah. get 2020. Who needs it? Bring on 2021. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Where's the fast forward button? But um, <laughs> I'm expecting a uh, sequel of the song. Um, I'll work well. on it. So maybe if you've got some time, it'll be a sequel. I'll write an album for you. <laughs> Just a private one. A I'll send it to you in the mail. A whole musical. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. <laughs> That's okay. right. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Keep up the great work. Thanks, guys. There's a bit to get through, so let's roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies. This week, all the Victorian clubs have relocated out of Victoria because of our growing COVID numbers, and they're setting up shop around the country in traditional rugby towns. There's a lot 
to talk about about the hubs. And for me, one of the clearest things that has been great is the duality of footballers is on show. So people are realising probably for the first time for many that um, these men are more than your super coach team and that maybe they're human beings, their dads, their partners, their sons, and maybe you don't get to decide when they choose to take leave from their job for the, for, for personal reasons. So we've seen Basha, Hooley and Shane Edwards both have newborns, just born or slightly on the way, and Jack Rewalt and Carly Rewalt are expecting another baby, so congratulations to them. And I have been happy and proud of the way that my team has supported them to make individual choices for their individual circumstances. There's hardly two players in our history than Basher and Shane that have brought me more joy in football and two premierships. So you know what? They can do whatever they want. So they've decided to stay home. It means that a whole lot of young players get to go on the road that maybe haven't had an opportunity before. And so it's quite good for the team, I think, to have the new generation coming up. We saw a choice from Gary Ablett, and I just wanted to say how sad I was to hear about Jordan and Gary Ablett's baby, Levi, who's been diagnosed with a rare degenerative disease, which is just really confronting. And I might say... Gary Ablett has been playing football with that knowledge for uh, a few weeks now and him going and speaking to Matt Rowell, you know, you see these things and then you realise what's going on in people's lives and the, the complicated decisions that they're making and it's just personal. We've talked a lot about the way in which media covers these stories and I actually think, broadly speaking, the men in football media have been very good about this story. There have been a lot of male journos who traditionally might have had um, boring views have said things like, this is how long I took off for my baby when it was when he was she was born and that to me is a healthy sign of an evolving media where they don't read the comments but you know don't worry about the comments and we're just going to lead this and say it's totally fine. I have to say I loved seeing players getting on to team buses and aeroplanes with babies strapped <laughs> to their chest as opposed to just the surfboard under the arm <laughs> and these things are important. I think it's really important that we see everybody in their sort of full humanness, <laughs> if that's a word. You know, we know how that can really help to break down rigid gender stereotypes that mm. aren't helpful. I think this is something that AFL has needed for a long time. You know, we've pretended we've made them macho, we've made them superheroes that are untouchable and, you know, this is the soft side that we need to see that they're human and this, um, as you know, will impact how children also feel about themselves as footballers and people. Yeah, good thing for me. When you grow up a football fan as a child, a, a lot of, I know my personal relationship was kind of seeing players as as collector's items mm. like you get the footy mm. card you get the sticker book you look at their stats you mark their goals in the in the record and it although that that's really a fun part of fandom it does create this sense that they're not real people yes. <laughs> and i think you know and you still see grown up fans still talking about players in that way where they see their worth in terms of their possessions and their goals and their awards and and don't see everything else that they do or the role they play on the team, even if it doesn't rack up stats and all this stuff, all these images that we get helps to like break down that learning. So we, we see them. Yeah. We see them as more rounded people. And we've spoken on the show about, you know, are, are footballers 
entertainers mm. or not. And I think we're seeing now, well, they're not just here for our entertainment. Exactly. They're, they're real people. Mm. They're playing the sport. Mm. We get to enjoy watching them, but that's not the whole picture. There was a situation with Tom Lynch, Lucy. Can you explain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Dr. Lucy's in the house again. Tom Lynch had to have surgery on a broken hand after his game on the weekend, and it meant that he missed the flight with all of the team. So there was images of him quite late on Sunday getting on to a private jet with Brendan Gale and their challenge was to make it into Queensland before the midnight deadline. Two men on a very small plane. I think there is a huge missed opportunity for a weekend at Bernie's style romp where they pulled him out of surgery, one arm around Peggy, one arm around Brendan, and they ran him still anaesthetised onto that plane. Do recovery on the plane. That's exactly right. Or as Lucy mentioned, um, with the babies strapped to players, maybe Tom Lynch strapped to Brennan Gale in a baby bjorn, heading up north. His feet would have dragged on the ground, even if Brennan Gale is very tall. Support the head. Julia, you're talking about entertainment, the entertainment value of, Mm. of football. We're putting all of these massive barriers and challenges in the way of clubs and it's definitely unequal. As fans, we now get to just watch it and go, okay, I'm going to be entertained by this. The winning and losing is is going to have a different feeling, I think. Mm. It's bringing a different perspective, I guess, to elite sport and it brings up the idea of the Adelaide Crows... Story Losing Our Collective Minds is a story that's been around for quite some time. And, you know, we know that much has been said about this pre-season camp that the Adelaide Football Club went through where a consultancy group ran a resilience building camp. Just to remind listeners, the camp has been the subject of an investigation by the AFL Integrity Unit and also an external review of their footy department. Since then, coach Don Pike, head of football, Brett Burton, senior assistant Scott Camparelli, all left the club and eight key players have also left. Last weekend, you may have seen there was a piece by Sam McClure that was published in The Age and it described some really disturbing aspects of what went on at that camp and it was based on interviews with six players. The thing that came out in this piece was a description of a bizarre activity involving players being tied to a tree and having to crawl towards a knife while teammates hurled abuse. And the article alleges that this abuse was based on very personal information, including traumatic incidents. And while the club denies that sensitive information was shared, a player who was interviewed said, and I quote, There is no doubt that private and personal information was used without our consent. This is one of the really big red flags for me, let alone the fact that this was a group of players who'd lost their coach in very traumatic circumstances Mm. in 2015. So that's sort of sitting behind all of this. And I guess the questions for me are like, what are the assurances that something like this aren't going to happen again? The AFL investigated and found that the camp had lacked due diligence, but comments by Mark Rusciuto, who's the Crows footy director, sounded pretty defensive to me. And I'm not sure that that's the most helpful way to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Well, I've heard um, that the Adelaide police are actually now investigating this. When someone says to you, your welfare people cannot come to this camp, Mm. don't you go, "Mm." hmm. Now, let me think for a minute. Why is that? Will I let my players that are in my care go to this camp? Because that would have been the very first red flag for me. But um, yeah, it was... Not good enough, and I know Adelaide players that are still very much, and the word is damaged, like they are damaged from that camp. I read that article and, God, it was appalling. 
And there's a quote in there from Jeff Bond, who's a former chief psychologist at the AAS, and about the, the rope incident. Using people's personal trauma to drive them is so illogical and dangerous, it's not funny. The idea around the camp was to um, foster this sense of resilience and that these activities were supposed to do that. But the way that it was gone about was so bizarre. I, I just feel like there is a general misunderstanding in the community about trauma and healing. I don't know, if you think about any soap you've ever watched or a Lifetime movie and someone's had a traumatic experience and, and the response is always, well, you just need to talk about it and get it off your chest and that somehow that will solve it. Mm-hmm. There is so much research around trauma and trauma-informed practice and trauma-informed care and that that's not right (laughs) that actually your brain and your body if something traumatic has happened your brain and your body protects you from it that's why people who've had trauma don't necessarily remember it correctly don't remember every single item of it because their brain is protecting them from it and so you Someone coming along and trying to just burst that balloon is actually not that beneficial and you need people who are trained in in trauma and counselling and so on if you would like to go down that path of of healing to to facilitate those conversations. Mm. I think feel like I say this sentence every week but it's been a very big week at the Collingwood Football Club (laughs) uh, for lots and lots of different reasons. One of them is more details about the inquiry that they're going to do in terms of Heredia Lumumba's story. Julia, what happened? Yeah, so this week the Collingwood Football Club announced that their integrity committee um, have appointed Professor Larissa Berent um, to head the independent review of the environment at the club between 2005 to 2014. So this is following the accounts of racism that Heredia Lumumba has spoken about and which we've spoken about on the pod before. So initially when the review was announced, a concern had been expressed about what would um, Collingwood's ability to investigate itself actually be. But it is an exciting appointment. Larissa Brent is a Yulia Kamaluro woman. She's a barrister, a researcher, a writer and a filmmaker with a breadth of experience across lots of different sorts of organisations. Peter Murphy, who's a Collingwood director, who also sits on the Integrity Committee, has stated that Um, And I quote, it's become increasingly clear uh, that in Heretia's time, we were unable to understand his experience, see and hear what he saw and heard. This lack of cultural safety that he and others have recently spoken of is a matter of great concern. So I think this statement and Berent's appointment kind of notes a shift in the approach by the club. It's an opportunity for growth and change. And I'm hopeful, as we are all hopeful, that the club is actually open to hearing what is revealed. It's not just about finding out the truth and doing nothing with it and making a paper that sits in someone's drawer. It's actually hearing what happened and doing something with it and being open to the change. So I'm hopeful about it, but time will tell whether the review does lead to structural change or or if it's just more kind of window dressing. What we want from that also is for them to say sorry. Yep. You know, because people say, oh, how many times do you have to hear sorry? Just once. You know, <laughs> just, just the once does it. It covers it. You know, and it, it does. It does something within your body. Like you, you let go of things and this is what he needs. He's reaching out for that moment for people to say, I'm sorry. And them continually denying it has led to nothing but heartache for him. Another big story relating to the Collingwood Football Club this week. We're about to talk about it and it, it is quite a confronting Stories. So if anything that we talk about makes you feel uncomfortable, you need someone to talk to, you should contact 1800RESPECT, 1800 737 732. 
Collingwood's Jordan Dugowie was charged with indecent assault during the week. He has travelled to Perth ahead of when Collingwood will eventually make their hub there, but there has been a fair bit of discussion about this story during the week and a lot of people asking whether or not we have learnt from previous stories anything in the way in which the media and the AFL might deal with this. Well, we did see the article from Jess O'Harrell in which she wrote about Jordan Dugowie's case saying that it was a chance for the AFL to make a stance against violence against women. Now, the players are showing us through many campaigns that they've been a part of that they want to make an impact in the change in society. We won't say much about the case because it's playing out as we speak, but I do want to touch on the reactions of two people that I witnessed firsthand. Now, both reactions centred around one, poor Jordan, and then there was two, or how long did it take her to come out? I think we can do better on our reactions and it takes time to process traumatic things and it's exactly what you were talking to, Julia. Why do we say things like it took too long and poor Jordan and why not poor woman and um, I hope that she's okay. You know, this happened on the weekend after Collingwood had played their game. Can I know people are football journos and that's their main game but there was a lot of oh this is going to have devastating effects for the Collingwood season I go yeah but there is an alleged victim here and there's Jordan Dugowie I mean there's real people's human beings as I spoke about before people who are going through a very traumatic and public story with Jess Halloran's piece essentially she's talking about the equivalent rule in the NRL where players are stood down while a story is being investigated and they don't get to play until their story has been cleared. There's a lot of discussion and debate around whether or not that is a good or bad idea but I feel like what people are asking for is just transparency and an idea that this will be taken seriously. But I also think that um, our system is our justice system is based on the fact that you are innocent until you're proven guilty so Mm -hmm. I don't think a workplace has the right to do that Mm. myself yeah Yeah, but she makes a good point at the towards the end of that article that would you feel if if Jordan wasn't a footballer but he was a teacher or a a doctor and he there was a accusation Mm. against him and he was allowed to practice until yeah the legal processes went went through and I yeah that kind of threw my thinking when you say that, as a teacher, if something happens with me, I can't practice. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. And there. even if Absolutely. the accusation has happened and it hasn't been proven, you would be stood down in, yeah. whilst that, that happens. Absolutely. I think what's also something that the AFL does need to grapple with is the fact that it has a respect and responsibility policy, which they've had since 2005, but it is mostly an educational policy. The thing that I think that you touched on that I think is really important, Tess, is that responses need to be victim-centred. I know Kate has spoken here previously in other episodes about the issue that workplace sanctions can influence a legal sanction in the future, and that may not actually benefit the victim. And so I think that's, on one hand, you know, what we're trying to deal with. On the other hand, how do you show as an organisation that you seriously, um, how seriously you take the issue of respect and responsibility, for want of a better phrase, um, if players are able to continue playing and and then receive the plaudits that potentially come from that? But I think it speaks to all the barriers that are in place for people to accessing services or to um, going to the police and so on. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about a service that's available. It's only available in Victoria but hopefully it will be rolled out nationally soon and it's it's called Hello Cass. So some of our listeners may have heard of it. So Hello Cass is an anonymous, discreet and accessible SMS chatbot. So it provides information and support pathways for people affected by family and sexual violence and it's available for those who have experienced violence, who are perhaps concerned family members or friends and for men or people who are worried about their own behaviours. So the service 
helps to overcome barriers to disclosure. Things like the fear, shame, stigma, feeling that perhaps the incident wasn't bad enough Mm. or feeling like they're not going to be believed. And we know that approximately a third of incidents of violence are ever reported or disclosed. And for some women, particularly Aboriginal women, around 90% of the most recent incidences are not reported due to the intersection of violence and systemic racism. So it's Halicast, it's not an emergency service. It's designed to equip women and families with accurate information so they can make a start on the path to support and safety. So to start chatting um, and you'll receive um, responses to your questions and concerns, you just simply send a text message like Hello Cass um, mm. to 0417. Um, and you can head to the website at hellocast.com.au and I think that this speaks to the diversity of services that are really needed that there are so many barriers to disclosure and that people are going to come to speaking about what's happened in in many different ways so if we can make all different sorts of services available then Mm. change will actually happen I'm Natasha Stock-Despoir and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast Just like the AFL season 2020 the fifth quarter looks like it's here to stay Lucy Race you've got something yeah, look, just a little something I threw together. <laughs> Join in with me, would you girls? Tonight I feel so bored. I really want to swear. The footy's all been scored. And I feel the slap and the sting of nothing to share. And I know you're only human. And you need more than footy news. So will other pods just give you football? The Outer Sanctum is giving gifts to you. It's time to bring me the quarter. The things that help to keep us alive. Can't you see the Sanctum needs a lot of culture? What we bring is gonna help you survive. It's time to bring the fifth quarter. This segment's getting out of control. You know we've got your parts, you know we've got your shows, but but tonight the sweet sanctum, the sweet sanctum's got your soul. (laughs) (laughs) Friend of the pod, Melissa Etheridge. (laughs) Maybe I'll kick us off on a musical theme because I've been listening to a lot of music um, and a streaming service explosion. I've got every streaming service under the sun. You know how you say, I'm going to delete one. But then I just picked up another one because I want to watch Hamilton. It's really bad. Anywho, one of them is home to a show that I've always intended to get around to. But in my defense, it debuted when I was two years old and it was a bit dark for a two-year-old. It's Twin Peaks, right? So I started watching Twin Peaks. (laughs) You are so young. I just, Shelley and I just died. (laughs) Well, get stuffed. Don't hate me because you ain't me. What am I right? Am I right, guys? Anywho, so I've started watching Twin Peaks. Of course, I don't know who done it yet. So I don't want to talk about the program or like my many, many opinions about the creepy program. But I do want to talk about the soundtrack. A good soundtrack to me is like the key to everything. And the Twin Peaks soundtrack and the score, particularly this one, Laura Palmer's theme, is just, it makes me feel a lot of feels. Angelo Balladamenti. Julia, am I saying? Thank you. Is the man responsible for this? Twin Peaks creator David Lynch told him to imagine he was alone in the woods, the wind was blowing, owls were hooting, and a young woman emerges from the scene. 
and that's essentially how he sits down and writes this song. Uh, my sister-in-law had the CD soundtrack, because of course she did, which was $2 from the op shop, at her house the other day. So I drove home through the bush and forest listening to this. Oh, no. <laughs> Hope you locked the doors. <laughs> was, I was like, this is so beautiful, because it was a beautiful sunny day driving around. But also I felt like... I think I've got to turn it off. Yeah. Listen to Melissa Etheridge, so I'd stop feeling so creepy. But a good soundtrack to me changes everything. And this week we also lost an amazing composer, Ennio Morricone. Passed away, age 90, 91. Pretty good, pretty good era. Famous for this theme, which is just iconic. I might shout out to the Could Have Been Champions on ABC Radio who've been using this as their opener for 30 years. Um, this is the theme from Good, Bad and the Ugly. So I've just gone down a deep soundtrack listening whole this week and I don't want to come out of it. I'm loving it. I've been listening to all of the Star Wars. Big shout out to Classic FM, ABC Classic FM. They've done many and they've got many playlists available on Spotify of just the best soundtrack, top 100 soundtracks. So highly recommend get in your car if you can, drive around, listen to soundtracks and feel like you're in a movie. It's the best thing ever. Lucy, what have you got? I would recommend a little soundtrack as well. Oh, look out. <laughs> look, I'm going to start this by saying I'm a feminist, but <laughs> I love Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and this was so exciting. This was like, this has been the only thing on my calendar for July <laughs> was to watch Hamilton last Friday night. Did it feel exciting getting the diary out just to write in Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big wall calendar. It was, seriously, it was so exciting. And we waited till it was dark and we turned all the lights off and nobody spoke and no one looked at their phones for the whole thing. So that's some kind of miracle. But this is basically a film version of the original Broadway cast. It was filmed in 2016, just before the original cast started to leave. It was going to be on a cinema release, but because of the pandemic, Lin-Manuel Miranda decided to give us a little gift and it can be seen on Disney+. Plus. Now, we are a musical theatre family, so... We've been singing the soundtrack for years, but I'm, and I'm assuming most people know about it. But in case you don't, Hamilton is the multi-award winning Broadway musical about the founding fathers, specifically Alexander Hamilton. It broke new ground in the way that it incorporated hip hop and also R&B and pop alongside traditional musical theatre numbers, as well as the way that it took a much more progressive approach to casting. It won 11 Tony Awards in 2016 and it was nominated for a record-setting 16 awards. I could do a whole pod on my reactions to watching it, but for me the absolute highlights were Leslie Odom Jr., who Mm. plays Aaron Burr, Christopher Jackson as George Washington and Jonathan Groff as King George. He is just hilarious, so funny. Renee Elise Goldsbury, who played Angelica and Philippa Sue as Eliza, just bring so much depth. You have a sense of it listening to the soundtrack and I've listened to this so many times but seeing the visuals and the choreography just brings it of course into another dimension. The thing that has been really interesting to me is that we can't have nice things. (laughs) You just can't. The reactions haven't all been positive because the performances haven't necessarily been criticised, but we've seen criticism around the politics, of Mm. course, the way that this musical celebrates the Founding Fathers and the way that it pretty much ignores the issue of slavery and the fact that it really doesn't pass the Bechdel test. There are a number of articles out there, one that our dear friend Kate Sear tweeted from the female gaze called Helpless, Why Aren't We Talking About Gender in Hamilton? I think what's been really interesting is that Lin-Manuel Miranda has acknowledged the criticism and he welcomes it. Historian Annette Gordon-Reed said, she's a history professor at Harvard, and she said, 
A Broadway show is not a documentary. Artists have the right to create, but historians have the right to critique. She hopes that the show's popularity will encourage deeper thinking about early American history. I'd like to just point out that there is a line in my shot (laughs) that says, we will never be truly free until those in bondage have the same rights as you and me. Anybody who has spent time with musical theatre knows that you can't ask people to sit in their seats for eight hours. So things do get, you know, left out and put in. Lin-Manuel Miranda in his tweet. Yeah, he goes, all criticisms are valid. The sheer tonnage of complexities and failings of these people I couldn't get. All wrestled with but cut. I took six years and fit as much in as I could in a two and a half hour musical. I did my best. It's all fair game. Two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played. Shelly, last week you spoke about the Babysitter's Club, which I might say <laughs> I haven't watched yet either. That's on my weekend list. And our own Rana Hussein knocked it off in a day. Oh, wow. So bring it on. What's on the agenda this week? What are we all going to be watching because of you? Well, I am a massive Neighbours fan. Yes, I said it out loud. I record it and I sit there for one hour a week and I watch it and I am not ashamed. (laughs) So I, But I wanted to talk about um, a storyline that's happening at the moment with a character called Mackenzie. Now, she's played by Georgie Stone, who plays the first ever transgender character in the show. Now, Georgie is actually transgender. She was 10 years old when she had blockers, so she's... um, been quite an inspirational young woman to lots of people. She actually took her character storyline to Neighbours and they embraced it and she started in 2019. This week has been particularly beautiful. It's been the lead up to her operation that she's chose to have. And just as she went in, her boyfriend told her that he loved her and we haven't seen Mackenzie come out and hear. So she's just about to come out and tell us how she feels as herself and the the person that she has felt all her life. So it's just been beautiful because I've taught children that have transitioned and what I noticed the difference between adults and children is that children just go, oh, yeah, and then they go and have their recess. And, um, (laughs) you know, so they embrace it so beautifully because they already know who that person is. Mm. And I find that adults can sometimes struggle and put their thoughts, their negativity on children. But Mm. I do put a lot of faith in our children for discrimination, for future uh, marginalised groups. And I think this is perfect for adults to watch because Georgie has just done a magnificent job, absolutely beautiful job of sharing her story through Neighbours. I can't wait for her to come out of hospital and see her living her true self. It's just wonderful. And Just before she went into hospital, Nicole Hayes' book, A Shadow's Breath, was held up Mm -hmm. by Mackenzie as something she was going to read in hospital. So that was a nice Out of Sanctum podcast touch too. So it made my day. Out of Sanctum Neighbours crossover episode. (laughs) Product placement. It's important to me 
we're going through the Black Lives Matter. We're looking at how people of colour are discriminated against, but, you know, we've got the LGBTIQ community as well, continuously discriminated against, and I feel very passionate that we need to get rid of all of this, not only for what's happened with me online, but what happens within that community as well. And I um, just wanted to show my love and support and just throw it out there through Neighbours and Georgie. She's doing a great job. Unreal. Julia. I am listening to a podcast that has been spoken on uh, the outer before. So it's the fifth season of Revisionist History. Revisionist History. Say that five times fast. Um, so it's Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. So in season five, it's the third episode's called The Powerball Revolution. And I was listening to this on the weekend and it really, you know, when you just hear an idea that kind of rocks you. So this episode is about elections, how people are elected to power. Malcolm explores this idea that people who win elections are people who are good at running for elections. Mm -hmm. Um, So they know how to be charming. They know how to give speeches. They put themselves forward for elections as well. Some They've got it in their head that they will be good at leading and that actually perhaps this isn't the best way to find people who are good at governance. He speaks to this man called Adam Cronkite, who has done a lot of research around student body councils. A lot of his research is around those councils being elected via lottery. So essentially everyone gets a number, everyone gets a ball, and it just you just get pulled out. What happens then is that 50% generally are women. People are drawn from all different social groups and backgrounds and um, races and nationalities. And so you have this really interesting mix of people. The types of decisions they make are not popularity contests. So what would happen before is if someone was elected in the old style, in that democratic style where you get to vote, the thing they would be elected on was, you know, we're going to have a great school formal and we're going to have, you know, things that were really kind of popularity contest type of things. Whereas once they changed to this other system, you know, in schools where they didn't have a library, that's what the, the group would decide to to do. They'd, they'd build a library or they'd, in one instance, they created ID cards because the students were going to school at night and they um, needed ID cards to be able to travel on public transport at a student rate and conductors or whatever didn't believe them. And so the decisions that come out are much more reflective of a broad student representation. I think it feels like it's completely contrary to our idea of democracy, but at the same time, I'm like, no, it's not. You know, if you think about, you know, I've been tapped on the shoulder to run for leadership positions before. If I didn't have those taps on the shoulder, I would never have done it. Mm. Um, being able to run at an election for an election doesn't mean you're good at leading or you're good at governance. So yeah. it's a really interesting idea. And when we hear all this stuff about it's a meritocracy, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not. <laughs> The same sorts of people always run and they're supported by their other people who are also in power who network for their benefits so that they get they get elected and then that's not true. Well, it's nearly time for us to get out of here, get back to our houses and, um, you know, go straight inside, don't pass go, collect $100, whatever. Mm. Everybody out there, stay safe, stay well, look out for each other. There's a lot of people who are really struggling. We're in the third quarter, premiership quarter. It's time to put this thing to bed. There's only one thing left to say. Go footy! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.